Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Welcome in Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Monday, January 18th. Great to be with you guys today as we continue our journey here in January. South Carolina has a new football coach, Shane Beamer, as you all know. Gamecocks gradually filling out the staff. There has been some transition, uh, I guess, in terms of guys leaving and coming and going. And uh, the latest of that is uh, Drew Hughes, director of player personnel, going to Texas with Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, I want to break this down a little bit because, I, you know, Drew was only at Carolina for a year. Uh, he was at Florida under Muschamp and then went to Tennessee under Pruitt, uh, came into Carolina, uh, replacing uh, Matt Lindsay, who went to Ole Miss to be kind of a general manager sort of role. And, and that's kind of – with these positions, and I, I know some people, some people that were in my business actually have transitioned and gone in to that side of college football, Barton Simmons – uh, is the latest one who took a general manager's job at uh, Vanderbilt. Um, you know, one of my good friends, Ryan Bartow, uh, works at Syracuse and used to work at Oregon. Um, you know, I, there are people that do my line of work that have transitioned. So, so this is kind of the, you know, a, a new thing as recruiting has gotten bigger and bigger and, you know, quite frankly, harder to keep up with, uh, with just 10 assistant coaches and folks like that. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a whole industry uh, of this position. And and so the general manager's job is kind of a, a cross between your normal recruiting guy and then uh, sort of what Thad Turnipseed does at uh, Clemson. You know, and you guys have all read about Thad Turnipseed. Thad Turnipseed does not do what Drew Hughes does. Clemson has people that do that. Thad Turnipseed uh, is involved with a lot of the uh, external – you know, promotions uh, or promotional aspects of Clemson's program and the internal personnel uh, of Clemson's program. And uh, he's kind of Dabo Sweeney's right-hand man. You know, some some people were out there saying, well, hire, just give Thad Turnipseed anything he wants to come to Carolina. You, you have to understand, Thad Turnipseed would not be Thad Turnipseed if it weren't for Dabo Sweeney. Uh, he's implementing what D- Dabo, a very unique coach, you know, he's implementing his very unique plan for a very unique place. And that's worked. There, nothing like, you know, South Carolina needs their guy. That's like their Thad turnip seat. You know, you, you can't just, you know, again, uh, I think around here, we have a problem sometimes with, with looking and wanting what everybody else has and thinking that's a turnkey solution. It's not, uh, you can look at some coaches that have come in with big names and resumes, uh, that have found South Carolina a little bit tougher sledding. And then look at some guys that have come in, with no name and no resume and no experience that have been very, very successful at South Carolina. So, you know, I can look at, look at it both ways, you know, maybe not in the head coaching spot, uh, but you can look at certainly the, the assistant coaches. And I, I think the head coaching spot thing is about to change pretty quick, but uh, you know, you look at the assistant coaches that have done well at Carolina, you know, who, who's, who's the most legendary assistant coach, Brad Lawing. You know, Lawing did coach at Michigan State, and after he left Carolina the last time, he did coach at Florida and Florida State. But, you know, South Carolina was, you know, and he was in North Carolina for a while, but, you know, South Carolina was his only SEC gig 
before he went to Florida with Muschamp after he left Spurrier's staff. You know, he came from App State, coached under Sparky and Brad Scott, lasted through all that, you know, and then came back with Spurrier. You know, G.A. Mangus, uh, very popular assistant, did great work at Carolina while he was there. He was at Middle Tennessee State before he came to Carolina, you know. Uh, Shane Beamer was at Mississippi State, and that was it. You know, it was SEC experience, but, you know, he kind of, you know, Mississippi State, a a good first job there, you know. Uh, Jay Graham came from Miami of Ohio and Tennessee Martin, you know, before he came to Carolina. Uh, And those are the guys that have been successful. I mean, I I think that when you talk about it, you know, I mean, and look, there's Ellis Johnson, who was at Alabama and Clemson and Arkansas for a spell and, and places like that, you know. So, yeah, Ellis Johnson was certainly a guy that uh, had coached some other places and, and been around and all that, uh, and he's kind of a legendary assistant. But, you know, Charlie Strong had never coordinated a defense before he got on Holtz's staff, you know. So, so uh, you know, let's this, this talk about, well, let's go hire. And first of all, you're not going to hire Ted, Thad Turnipseed. He's not going to take it. I mean, he's not going to go anywhere else. But Clemson um, – he and you got to. I think I think he deserves all the credit he gets. Don't get me wrong, but South Carolina needs to find their Thad Turnip seat. Yeah, I, I can't stress that enough. And it's probably not going to be someone that all of you sit there and go, "Wow, what a resume." Um, I, I think that you know that that's kind of when you talk about replacing Drew Hughes or, or or getting someone in that that's similar to what you know in this, like I said, this little industry. Uh, the general manager's role or whatever. And I don't know that Shane Beamer will hire a general manager or give him anyone that title. Uh, but when you're talking about that, you know, Carolina needs to find their own guy, you know, their guy that can go make it happen. Uh, and, and so, you know, Drew Hughes was not that guy, by the way, Drew Hughes didn't, um, didn't really, uh, you know, he, he was just involved with recruiting and player personnel. Uh, but, Going to Texas is a no-brainer. Uh, you know, people can argue, hey, they haven't been good in a while, and they haven't, you know, but they're still a, they're still the University of Texas. They still have money to burn, <laughs> um, you know, more money than Carolina. It's not like Carolina doesn't, but, you know, Drew Hughes is making really good money. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me to see Beamer restructure sort of that department and maybe hire a couple of guys you know, split a cup, split it up a couple of guys because, you know, moving forward. Uh, and I'll get to that in a second, but I'll finish with Drew real quick. Uh, you got to give him a lot of credit for what he did during the transition recruiting wise, you know, while Beamer's assembling a staff, you know, getting some guys in the boat, identifying players. He and Des Kitchings did an outstanding job, you know, uh, the, the really everybody that was left on the staff did, but, those two sort of led the way, Drew Hughes and Des Kitchings. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's paid off. You know, some some folks may not agree that it's paid off because all they do is glance at the team recruiting ranking, which is not going to be high this year. It's probably going to be historically low. But, you know, in the rankings, they don't count transfers. Um, the, the guys Carolina did get in are going to help. There's not really a reach in the class. There will be a bust or two or three or four or many, you know, just like all recruiting classes. But, you know, keeping some of these guys in the boat 
was big, you know, keeping him uh, Omega Blake, Caleb McDowell, you know, getting an Isaiah Norris. Those are guys Carolina needs, folks, you know, even for depth or just overall athleticism. Nick Barrett, the D tackle from Eastern North Carolina, Sam Reynolds, you know, those guys are already on campus. So the Colton Gother, Gothier, obviously you need him now. Um, so, you know, you look at it like that and then you sort of go through it and Amari and Brown, David Spalding, Daryl Williams, Jordan Strong, and Jakeem Green, those are five outstanding transfers, you know. Uh, those are some guys that, that have a lot of eligibility left in the case of Williams and Spalding. Uh, guys that were super productive at a lower level, like Strong. Uh, Amari and Brown was Georgia Tech's best player as a true freshman. He's explosive, athletic. He's at least Shai Smith, who you had to replace. Uh, and then Jakeem Green, you know, probably wasn't uh, as good as we thought he was going to be while he was at Nebraska. But you never know. He's coming home. And, and I think Carolina needs bodies, big bodies, on the interior of the D-line. Uh, and, and so, you know, you sort of look at it like that. And, and my point of all that is Drew Hughes deserves a lot of credit because you're recruiting with a new coach off of two and eight with a load of coaching transition. You know, guys coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. You know, you've got to find guys that make sense. And every one of these guys makes sense. Unfortunately, those five guys don't count towards the team ranking. So it's still 88th in the country and last in the SEC. And it'll probably stay that way, you know, just to be quite frank. But, you know, until they change the 24-7 sports rankings to include transfers, which I think is coming because and I'm going to get to the portal and all that in a second. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think it's just going to be that way. Just going to be that way. So, you know, you could sit there and say factually that it's historically bad uh, or historically low. I don't want to say bad, low, but you're not counting five key guys, including a guy that had 10 and a half sacks, uh, a linebacker that will knock your, you know what, in the dirt, uh, a six foot two corner that runs four four, Georgia Tech's best player as a true freshman. And Jakeem Green, which is a guy you really wanted, was a four-star Juco, uh, and you need depth at D-tackle. So you're not including that. So anyway, Drew Hughes deserves credit for all that, getting those guys in. I think it's a no-brainer to go to Texas. Uh, Again, talking about this little sort of industry of these guys, these personnel guys, that's a big step up. Um, and, And, you know, I don't blame him. I don't blame him for going. I think he's done a good job at Carolina. Um I also think he can be replaced. And I, and I think that one thing about Drew Hughes, you look at he and Matt Lindsay and the guy at A&M and the guys at Georgia, they all come from that, you know, I call it the Ed Marinowitz coaching tree. Ed Marinowitz is a guy that uh, was at Bama, uh, who I know a little bit from my days as a national recruiting analyst. Uh, very thorough guy, very respectful guy, one of the best evaluators. He's been in the NFL, all that. And all these guys were sort of, part of that system under Saban, you know, and obviously they evaluate very, very well in Alabama. Um, and so one thing for those of you that believe, as I do, that, that Carolina needs to kind of, you know, not try to replicate Bama and Georgia and those places, um, you know, you, you see this as a silver lining. 
Um, I, I'll be honest, I don't see it as a silver lining, even though his background was with Bama and Muschamp and those guys, because uh, I think he did a hell of a job at Carolina for Carolina with what Carolina needed. But, you know, for those of you that feel like, well, you just that just want a complete clean start, clean slate, you know, this is another opportunity to do that. Now, what will Beamer do to replace him? I, I feel like you're probably going to replace him with a couple of guys. Uh, and I think part of the reason you need maybe a couple of guys is the reality of the transfer portal. We're in a new era of college football, folks. Um, first, I've talked about this. You saw Urban Meyer go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, part of the reason is a lot of these coaches in college are like, they just don't have the appetite to deal with having to recruit their players constantly. You know, that it's tough to coach that way and for anybody. If you're having to constantly recruit your guys, um, I think you also probably need to, I think winning cures some of that, but you see some of these winning programs where guys are leaving um, in droves. Uh, I think it's just going to become a reality. You know, uh, people are writing about how Carolina's gotten hurt with the portal and all that. I, I just, I don't, I think a lot of these guys that have left Carolina could have used certainly, but I, you know, it, it's not as bad as maybe some other places in my opinion, but you know, the idea is, you know, I, I think that the way around having to constantly recruit is to create an environment and an atmosphere that's fun. You know, it's gotta be fun these days. Gotta be a little different. Uh, people need to enjoy being there. They players need to feel like you care about them. All that Shane Beamer checks all those boxes, but the portal is a reality. So things are going to change. Just like I, I talked about, don't get caught up in the number eighty-eight recruiting class in the country. Um, you're going to start. You know, if they don't start including transfers in the in the recruiting rankings you're going to really start looking at some cattywampus numbers and some numbers that are inaccurate because, you know, teams are going to take advantage of it. I mean, some schools already, Florida takes a lot of transfers. Carolina's taking their share. Maybe not this many, but, uh, and, and there's more to come by the way. Uh, but it's going to be a reality. So I think what you need personnel wise is not only a guy that's scouting high school and junior college talent, but that's also, you know, tracking division one guys. Uh, and that's kind of hard because you don't know who's going in the portal and who's not, but sometimes behind the scenes, you can get the word. And, uh, you know, to constantly monitor the portal, constantly monitor who may help that kind of thing. Um, and, and so this job may end up morphing into like two jobs or three jobs or something like that, uh, depending on how Beamer wants to do it. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, when you're talking about who needs to get the job, it needs to be somebody that understands South Carolina. It needs to be somebody that understands the state, that has connections in the state or some connections in the state. Uh, also needs to be somebody that can help evaluate talent. Because uh, part of the job here for, for these guys that, that are in the office recruiting-wise is they, they're kind of the gatekeepers. They watch tons of film all day long and then send them on to the position coach or the coordinators, the head coach, for approval to evaluate. Uh, and then they get approved. The coaches actually are the ones that approve the offers. Um, you know, so so we'll see kind of – that's very interesting to me, um, you know, in, in terms of how Shane Beamer 
ends up uh, ends up doing this because they're they're Drew Hughes did make pretty good money salary wise, um, and and there's enough there. Looking at some of the salaries of my cohorts, um, there's enough there to kind of uh, yeah I guess play around with and, and get competent people, um, you know to to help so. We wish Drew Hughes the best of luck. Again, I, I think this is one of those things. It, it's you know, it, it shouldn't cause any bad blood. It's the University of Texas. Uh, when you're in that, you know, like I said, that little industry like he is, that's a big promo. You can't you can't really turn down. Obviously, with his Bama connections, there's guys on that staff that Sarkeesian's hired that are familiar with Bama and all that. I'm sure Saban maybe put in a good word for him with Sark. So uh, you know. Anyway, positive, you know, departing on positive terms, Drew Hughes. Uh, and then we'll see what Shane Beamer does moving forward with that. The Gamecocks did hire defensive line coach Jimmy Lindsey, born in Sherall from eastern North Carolina, grew up in eastern North Carolina right across the border. I say the Sherall area. Uh, yet another guy with ties to the Carolinas. Uh, worked with Clayton White at Western Kentucky was on Lovey Smith's staff at Illinois this year. His guys that he coached uh, for the ends, I think one of their defensive ends at Illinois had a really good season, which was a tough year because they fired Lovey. And uh, Jimmy Lindsay was actually the interim D coordinator uh, for the Illini down the stretch. Uh, I don't think they lost a lot because of their defense. I think their offense was suspect this year, um, which was kind of the case with Lovey Smith in Illinois. But, uh, you know, he's coming back, and he was at Furman, another one of those guys that was at Furman for a while. So, uh, you know, Furman, I think for years, had Carolina and, you know, pre-Dabo, Clemson both maybe looked harder at some of those Furman guys. Uh, and, and they do have one on Clemson staff and Robbie Caldwell for, from that, the glory era, you know, Satterfield, the Bobby Johnson, the Bobby Lamb. Um you know, maybe maybe some of the bigger programs would be better off. Furman's put out a lot of good coaches, uh, a lot over the years. Um, so I like that fact. You know, he he spent four years in Greenville as a Paladin, um, and uh, he's a guy that you know Clayton White, the D coordinator, is familiar with. He coached some really good defensive linemen at Western Kentucky, uh, and he's inheriting a, a lot of good players now. Uh, according to the latest, you know coaching staff deal Peterson Mike Peterson is going to continue to coach the ends and the outside backers Clayton White's coaching the inside backers and so Lindsay is going to have the interior of the defensive line like the tackles um so I'll be interested to see kind of how that works out I think they need work at tackle you know he's getting Jakeem Green in you know you got to get him back up to kind of where we thought he'd be uh Rick Sandage obviously has not reached his potential. Zach Pickens has a chance to take another step, probably needs to take a bigger step. Uh, and then you got Jabari Ellis coming back. Uh, Boogie Huntley is a good young player. So, you know, Jimmy Lindsay's got some guys that you know, he's got to go get get taken care of. And, you know, Mike Peterson has coached Jordan Birch and Aaron Sterling and, and J.J. Enigbare and those guys. So it makes sense. And, and so, so my question becomes, too, you know, Peterson's got outside backers and defensive ends. So, so what would be an outside linebacker is, is so 
it's a four-two-five. Now they do run some four-three and some stuff. I mean, it's a multiple defense, but it's a four-two-five. So, you know, what? You know, will the spur position be an outside linebacker? Will that be in the secondary? You know, uh, will Torrey and Gray have that position, or, or, or will it be, you know, Mike Peterson? And, and then would Clayton White have like what they consider like the Will and the Mike inside backers, even though the Will is an outside backer in most schemes? You know, so so it's just kind of I'm interested to see exactly what personnel uh, fits where you know, with the structure of the staff. But I like the – so this completes the defensive coaching staff. Jimmy Lindsey, Torian Gray, Mike Peterson, Clayton White. I mean, that's a that's a good staff right there. A lot of credibility. Uh, a lot of players – with or a lot of coaches that, that their players love them over the years. You hear good things about it. Um, Torian Gray obviously is a complete stud, you know, in terms of what he did at Virginia Tech and in the NFL and Florida – so it's going to be uh, it's going to be a real interesting deal, uh, I think, with with these guys um, on defense, and and I think that this defense is going to be more simple. I think the players are going to enjoy playing in it a little more. Uh, I don't know what the results will be because <laughs> I mean, there's really nowhere else to go but up defensively, um, and, and I think that. You know, playing together as a team on defense is going to be critical this coming season. But you got a long time to figure all that out. But Jimmy Lindsey coming in to coach the interior of the defensive line, I think, you know, another guy with ties to the Carolinas, another guy coming home, another guy that's going to be really fired up about being in the SEC uh, and being at South Carolina. And I think, I think I think Shane Beamer's figured some things out about that, and I've I've been a big proponent of that along for a long time. Um, and quite frankly, it surprised me that some of these guys that came in with the big resumes under Muschamp, you know, and I'm not including Mike Bobo in this. Uh, you know, I, I Bobo came was Mission Impossible. Um, I'm probably talking more about your your other guys that came in with big names. Um, an SEC experience. I, I don't know that they, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think everybody wanted to win. It's not that they didn't want to win, but you know, I, I think it's hard sometimes when you, when you, you're like at, you know, nothing but blue blood SEC schools. And then you come to Carolina and, you know, it, it, it oh heck, they got 80,000 in the stands and they should be just like everywhere else. And it's just not, it's not, and so you have to work around that. And look, I, I think everybody would tell you, Steve Spurrier will tell you that, you know, you got to work around it. And, you know, Spurrier, Florida wasn't really Florida when he got there. And Duke certainly was, was Duke. So he had some experience. That was my less, you know, more with less kind of deal. You need to be in a place that's done that. Um, you know, and I think all these guys, you know, you coach at Furman and Chattanooga, and Illinois and Western Kentucky and places like that, you know, you kind of kind of do more with less. Clayton White, I've talked about how hard it is to put a good defense on the field at Western Kentucky or really in Conference USA in general. Um, and he did it. So defensive staff is complete. Basketball, first time we talked basketball in a while. Watch the LSU game start to finish. 
thought A.J. Lawson had a great first half. Kind of lost his shot second half. Cousinard had foul trouble. Uh, I hate the fact that, uh, you know, they lost that game simply because it, it's always nice, uh, I guess, to beat a Will Wade coach team in anything, I would imagine. Um, but I, I thought that there were some bright spots. You know, I thought Wilden's Levesque played really well. I thought, you know, obviously Keyshawn Bryant with a career high uh, kind of found his range. I think sometimes he and Lawson both, when they are hot, sometimes they get almost too fired up, you know, and, and they keep pushing it, and then it ends up leaving them to a certain extent. Although one of Keyshawn's missed dunks, he was shoved right in the back and they didn't call it. Um, so, you know, just kind of a tough loss. You know, Carolina's sitting there. I think they're up 72-67 before LSU made the the big final run there and got up 84-76. That was that's what a 17 to 4 run by the Tigers. Uh LSU's got a lot of good players. I mean, let, let's just be honest. That's uh Will Wade's done a good job of uh, recruiting down there. And um, you know, I, I don't know though that talent wise, if you look at it athletically talent-wise, whatever you want to say, that LSU is that superior to South Carolina. Um, I, I think that, you know, they do have some really good players, uh, but I think so do the Gamecocks do too. Uh, the Gamecocks have enough talent, I think, to really make some noise in the SEC this year. The problem is, you know, the margin for error, when you have all those game games canceled, you know, you're they're not going to let you in with an 8-8 eight and eight overall record. <laughs> so, um but but I think you know they're one and one in the league. Missouri is kind of the an opposite style team from LSU. They're really good defensively. They grind you down. Going out there is always a challenge. You know Carolina's going to have to really play uh, it, its best um, and not tire you know Tucker out. I, I think another another reason they probably lost to LSU was that I think they got tired. You know, you're just trying to find people some minutes. And, and again, Cousinard, when your second best player is in foul trouble the whole game, you know, and yet you still, you know, are right there. You know, you kind of take that. Plus, uh, obviously, Frank Martin wasn't on the sidelines. He was, you know, Bruce Shingler had to coach the team. And that's always tough when you don't have Frank because he's a really good bench coach. But uh, we'll see how basketball goes. I, 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 uh, I honestly – Took away a lot of hope. I know people are sick of losing, uh, probably more because of football, because football lost eight games this year, and that's tough. And and so, uh, and basketball hadn't played that often. So you're like, you know, if they were sitting there at, at eleven and two, and lost one, you you maybe just say, ah, you know, get them next time. But you, know, you hadn't played but six games, so now you're three and three. Uh, so, so I get the overreaction because there was overreaction about that game. But uh, if Carolina can play like they played against LSU in the first for the first, oh, I don't know, um, heck, the first thirty-six minutes, uh, I think they can win a lot of basketball games moving forward. We'll, we'll look at the schedule real quick here, which is all cattywampus and awful. So they go to Missouri. 
Uh, I believe that is tomorrow night, Tuesday night. Auburn comes to town. Georgia comes to town. They go at Vandy. So even if you lose the Missouri game, you know, you, you've got Auburn coming into town where they've struggled against Carolina. And, and Auburn got a pretty good win against Kentucky, but they, they're not quite as good as they have been. Uh, of course, who knows with, with all this. You know, Georgia comes to town next Wednesday. And then it's at Vandy, which, by the way, Vandy beat Carolina up there last year, but Vandy's still not all that great. Uh, and then at Florida, and then Mississippi State, Bama, Ole Miss. Bama's playing really well. It's good those three games are at home. You know, at Tennessee, Missouri at home, at Mississippi State, at Georgia, then Arkansas at home. So there's a chance to really get this thing rolling. Now, you know, a lot of times this team, and over the last couple of years with these players, you know, the, so at times they don't play within themselves. They, they rush it and, you know, throw up crazy shots and, and things like that. Um, and it, it is a different style of play. You know, again, those of you that always feel like, you know, I always see this, and, and it's the, the, such the wrong – it's one of the most wrong things I've ever seen. Frank Martin's teams play too slow. And it's not a modern style of basketball. That that's complete horse crap. Frank Martin's teams go fast, and they play pressure defense. It's it's like uh, it's like a modern version of the forty minutes of hell. Not quite that extreme as far as the full court press goes and all that. But if you look at the early part of the LSU game, that's Frank Martin basketball: pressure defense, getting steals, getting down the court, getting baskets, shooting the three. I mean that's. It's kind of what they do. Um, but sometimes when you play that style, you you know, in basketball, you get out of control, and that's not that's not when good things happen. So, <laughs> anyway, Gamecocks in Missouri tomorrow night, uh, 7 p.m. SEC Network out in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Missouri will be the favorite. Uh, I do think that, you know, if Carolina can go steal one on the road, which would be good. They haven't won a road game in a while. That'd be a very positive situation for the Gamecocks. Uh, and I do think there's still a chance, guys. Uh, I think if you look at the league and, and you know, Carolina, you know, they, they got to avoid the COVID situations. But, uh, you know, they can get rolling. They've got enough home and away game balance to where uh, I think they can they can make some noise. The, the, the record's going to look weird. I mean, it may be like, they may be 14 and six heading into the SEC tournament, but uh, I think that they can be good enough to get in, you know, at the end of the day, depending on the criteria and all that. So we'll see kind of how all that rolls uh, moving forward with basketball. Or, uh, I kind of almost feel like basketball season started the other night. I mean, I, that's how, you know, hit or miss it's been when you don't play for a month, you know, you kind of, people kind of forget about you, but uh, it's uh there is a basketball team, men's basketball team. They are pretty good, you know, so we'll see kind of what happens. Um, back to recruiting real quick. Uh, obviously, the semester started, so transfer portal guys that uh, got in this time, um, and those are the five that I mentioned. So, you know, Carolina is going to enroll for spring. You've got, uh, you know, Colton Gother, Sam Reynolds, Nick Barrett, Marcellus Dial, and Jordan Davis from um, the the original class. Dial is a junior college guy who's coming in. 
Uh, and then, you know, green, strong. I think it's how you pronounce it. It's, it's Strachan is how you, it's it's spelled, but it's strong. Jordan Strong uh, from Georgia State, Daryl Williams from Delaware, Spalding from Georgia Southern, and Brown. All those guys are in. So Carolina really enrolled ten new ten new guys, uh, which is good, you know. And, and they're positions of need, many of them. Um, so we'll see kind of how all that goes. Uh, but I think at the receiver position, you know, you do have the kid from St. Francis, uh, the, the, the daggum, you got the quarterback, Jason Brown, and then you got the receiver, is it Elliot Davis, Elijah Davis, something like that. Um, so, uh, Elijah Davis, I don't know. <laughs> I've lost, I don't have his name sitting in front. He's the 6'8 kid. Um, and uh, so I think that, uh, you know, that's another guy that uh, you can look at to catch the ball. EJ Jenkins, man, I was way off. Elijah Jenkins, I think was his name. Um, and they can get in by March. I think, uh, you know, they're both from the state of Virginia, from Fredericksburg. Uh, I think Carolina, um, you know, really those two would be really nice additions, in my opinion. So we'll see kind of uh, how that goes. And they can actually get, depending on when spring practice starts, they could get in and go to spring practice. Um, So we'll see sort of what happens uh, with all those guys. But I do think, I think the portal is going to get kind of, I don't know, more active after spring ball. Because uh, some of these guys are going to sit there and go through spring, and then they're they're going to be you know they're going to give it one more chance, so to speak, and then they're going to be like, well, I I just don't you know, I'm either not playing a whole lot here, or I'm not happy here, or however you want to spin it, and you're going to see more guys in the portal, uh, and I know there were a lot of rumors going around about players, big time receivers getting back in the and all that, and those were rumors. And this is probably why, you know, some folks, you know, not not in the media, not podcasters, anybody like that, but some of these folks that at times do have information that, that want to be insiders should probably, uh, you know, shut up, <laughs> for lack of a better term, um, especially with specific names or, you know, things like that. Because, you know what, uh, until a guy's in the portal, it's, it's a rumor. It's not it's not true. And just because there's rumors out there doesn't mean they're getting, you know, the, the deal's going to get done. Uh, and so I would encourage all of you who hear things from connected people uh, and who try to speculate to just maybe not talk about it in public, uh, you know, especially when you don't really know what you're talking about uh, in terms of, you know, is this going to happen or not? You know, just just a just a PSA there. For, for some folks. And I'm not, I'm not talking about anybody in the media or anything. I'm just talking about, you know, some things that get out on social media can be damaging, um, you know, to certain situations. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that, including transfer situations, including recruiting situations with certain high level quarterbacks um, that could be damaging. And you don't, you don't know. Uh, and you can argue all you want. You can argue, argue argue all day till you're blue in the face oh 
why would somebody be like this about that, about this, about that? Oh, other schools do this, that, and the other. Yeah, they do. And yeah, it hurts them too, which is why social media is a cesspool and bad for our society in a lot of ways. It's the greatest and worst thing uh, that's happened to our society. Uh, And unfortunately, you know, the other thing about social media is you can do it anonymously. And, and so there, there could be a guy like with a Twitter handle, like huge Gamecock fan that, that that's, you know, maybe either a fan or a closely aligned friend of another program. <laughs> and that happens too. Uh, it, it's become a propaganda game. And, you know, I talked about this being a new era of college football and why, like, some coaches are going to probably, you know, whereas it used to be some college coaches, they're like, ah, they NFL would come calling and they'd say, nah, I'm happy in college, happy in college, happy in college. That's why you're going to see more college coaches when they get the opportunity, take that opportunity in the NFL because of the BS that, 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 that now – you have to churn through in college football. Um, and, and it's not just the social media aspect of it that I talked about, that cesspool. It's now the portal. It's now perpetual recruiting, um, even your current players. Uh, and that's tough. There's there's a lot of issues with coaching college football. And don't be surprised if some very big names uh, in the college football world either hang it up or take other opportunities at the next level. Uh, in the very near future, because I just I just think the game is changing. How you manage a program is going to change that much. Now at Carolina, I think Carolina's in good hands with Shane Beamer as far as managing something like this. Uh, so because I, I, I think he's a very forward thinking, intelligent guy that that understands and gets it, and is going to put pieces in place uh, to make the environment at South Carolina one where players want to come play, and and he's going to win games. You know, I think uh, so. So I think Carolina's in good hands. I'm, I'm just talking college football in general, and part of it is dealing with the fan social media idiotic idiocy. I mean, look, I don't think Tennessee. I, I think Tennessee's old AD was a clown, uh, and, and I've thought that for years since he ran off Frank Martin from Kansas State. Uh, I just think that's one of those guys that. And why I get so fired up defending a guy like Ray Tanner, it's because of guys like that who aren't sports people, who are basically suits, who, you know, are going to go and try to hire Greg Schiano to coach Tennessee. Now, is t- would Tennessee football be better off had they hired Greg Schiano? Right? Yeah, because he's a hell of a football coach. And, and – and look, John Curry could have hired a guy just like Shiano that's a heck of a football coach, you know, just not Greg Shiano himself, if, you, if that makes a lot of sense. Um, but their fans basically, <laughs> you know, torpedoed the hire because there was all this backlash on social media. And, and now look at them, you know, and I know they've beaten Carolina two years in a row and, a lot of credit to them for that. Those have been two of their better wins. But, uh, man, look at the mess at Tennessee now, you know. Didn't want to hire Shiano. Just went crazy. Trashed the guy. Trashed his – I mean, tied him to the uh, 
to the Sandusky era at Penn State. Like he had anything to do with it. He was at Penn State. Just trash the guy. He goes to Rutgers this year. Rutgers is probably the worst situation in the country. And he's going there for a second time, which never works out. And they're very competitive and actually had a decent season. You know, by Rutgers standards, there's people now that are probably pretty fired up about Rutgers football for the first time in, in, in years after all the terrible hires they've made. So, um, you know, and, and look, modestly, they were they were three and six. They did beat Maryland. They beat Purdue. Jeff Brom, everybody, you know, okay, a lot of Carolina people well, should have hired Jeff Brom. No. <laughs> Uh, you know, they beat Michigan State, lost a close one to Michigan. I mean, you know, let's be honest, Rutgers was competitive this year in, in kind of a weird, shortened season. Um, and Shiano will do a good job there. And Shiano would have done a better job at Tennessee than Jeremy Pruitt. But their fans went crazy and did it. So, so that's, to me, that's like dangerous. You know, now look, I'll stand by this forever and tell you that Carolina people that sort of decided to, uh, you know, when the Jeff Mockin name was rolling around out there. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, those of you that, that, that voiced your displeasure probably should have, I don't know that he was getting the job anyway. I think cooler heads would have prevailed, but um, you know, that situation wasn't nearly as weird as, you know, torpedoing a guy's chances that, you know, a proven winner, all that good stuff. So, I don't know. So, anyway, college football is changing in the cesspool of social media and, you know, the reaction of some fans or people that probably aren't even fans and the propaganda out there is unbelievable. Unbelievable, the propaganda. Um, and I think it has an effect on, like, generally good fans, too, because I think, you know, just like this number 88-ranked recruiting class, you have people that are just trashing every player in the class. Every player sucks. Why? You know, you, you don't think Omega Blake can play football? You know, you don't think uh, Nick Barrett can play football? He's not a Division One guy? You don't think uh, the kid from Georgia State with ten and a half sacks can play a little football? I mean, he's a proven player. Very interesting. Very interesting, the propaganda these days. But uh, anyway, let's get to the mailbag because that's uh, the best part of this podcast because I enjoy talking to you guys. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com is the way to reach the mailbag, or you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. And here we go. Mitchell says, JC, I hope all is well. I got a question about South Carolina recruiting. Ah, recruiting. For Shane Beamer and company, how do you envision what you believe his recruiting classes year after year should look like if South Carolina wants to get back to the top of the SEC? In my personal opinion, if I were Beamer, this is how I want my classes to look. Outside of South Carolina, the Gamecocks should focus on Virginia since Beamer's from there and the D.C. suburbs are growing. North Carolina because of the research triangle and growth of Charlotte. Georgia because of Atlanta suburbs and high school talent. Florida and then Alabama and Tennessee. And then Mississippi, because it's the home of junior college football. I know it might be a lot, but I feel like the more Beamer establishes the pipeline of those states, the better the relationships will be. 
especially if there's a highly ranked player at a school they create a pipeline from. To conclude, for an average of 25 scholarship class, seven from South Carolina, four from Georgia, North Carolina, three from Florida, and the Mississippi Juco's two from Virginia, one each from Tennessee and Bama. I like your number breakdown. Uh, you know, sometimes you're not going to get to seven in South Carolina. You may get five to ten. I do think there are times they need to uh, – not they as in Shane Beamer and his staff, but South Carolina in general – uh, I thought Will Muschamp actually did a better job than Spurrier and his staff at combing the state. Uh, I think I think this staff needs to even do it even harder and maybe be creative. I mean, you know, there, there's some guys in the state. You know, maybe they play quarterback for their high school team, but you know, you look at their their uh, their film and, and and you're like, wow, slot receiver. You know, if you can catch it all. Um, that kind of deal, or, or maybe they're cornerbacks long-term or something like that. There's guys all over the state like that that end up going to FCS schools or to like a coastal or to a Georgia state or somewhere like that, you know, the, the Sunbelt level um, group of five, Appalachian State, and they end up balling, you know, just because the evaluation, and there's absolutely no question they could play at South Carolina in the SEC. Um, and I think that's going to happen under Beamer, because if you look at what happened at Virginia tech, which is kind of, you know, his background, you know, that they made a living on guys from Virginia, you know, and Virginia is a bigger state and produces more players, but, you know, from walk-ons right on up. And I think there's going to be a really good in-state focused walk-on program at Carolina now. Um, You know, you look at Wisconsin and they have, you know, Nebraska used to have the walk-on program that actually facilitated their rise as a national power, and they still do to a certain extent. But Wisconsin now, if you notice, Wisconsin's kind of the new Nebraska. You know, they have a gigantic walk-on program uh, from a state that produces maybe five guys a year that can play even in Division One. Um, and so I think you'll see that. As far as these other states, you know, I, I like cherry-picking out of Bama and Virginia and Tennessee – um, and I don't think you're going to sign a player from Bama, Tennessee, and Virginia every year if you can, great. But I think the number there is one to three. Uh, I, I think the Georgia and North Carolina numbers are going to be a little higher because Carolina always does that. The key is take the right guys out of Georgia because you can screw up big time. Even the University of Georgia sometimes doesn't take the right in-state players, uh, regardless of what they're ranked. Um, and then you got to go get competitive in North Carolina for the cream of the crop up there again. Mac Brown and his staff have just done a great job um, up there, you know, as far as getting the guys uh, that are the, the big time guys. And, you know, South Carolina, when they hit that run under Spurrier, lots of North Carolina guys uh, that ended up being, uh, you know, part of that. Travian Robertson, Melvin Ingram, Chris Culliver. Uh, they had Wesley Saunders for a spell. Um, Reggie Bowens was a guy that ended up being a starter for Carolina for one year from North Carolina. Uh, you know, and Carolina's got some some North Carolina kids now that are playing well. Eric Douglas comes to mind, um, you know, as, as a North Carolina kid. You know, Sherrod Green's coming back, and he's probably going to be a starter at linebacker. He's from North Carolina. You know, but, but but you look at it and, and you know, this cycle, 2021, you know, it was uh, 
that state was it went baby blue, you know, as far as, and it's not, not a politic, but it didn't give blue in politics, but you know, Clemson got Will Shipley, but you know, North Carolina, North Carolina, Evan Pryor went to Ohio state, Peyton Page went to Clemson, but the North Carolina, North Carolina, North Carolina, uh, one guy went to Tennessee, who's not ranked that high by 24-7. North Carolina, you know, Clemson got Zaire Patterson. Uh, Micah Crowell went to NC State, not sure how good he is. Uh, North Carolina, North Carolina, North Carolina. I mean, you just keep going, and it's like, wow. You know, you know, out of the top 20 in the state, North Carolina got one, two, three, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 11 of the top 20 in the state of North Carolina, which these days it's about as good as you can expect. I think because it's, it's, you know, North Carolina is still transitional. You're not going to get everybody. And honest to God, North Carolina probably didn't want everybody just to be honest, you know, um, probably didn't want every single guy that, uh, that they lost. Um, you know, and, and you look too, and, and this is another problem down here. And you go 34, 35, 38. Maybe Carolina didn't want these guys, but Tennessee, uh, you see the orange tee with a lot of these North Carolina players. You don't need them to get back. You know, Carolina's got Nicholas Barrett at 48. If there are 47 better players in the state of North Carolina than Nicholas Barrett long term at the end of his career, uh, I will do a video stream of this podcast and eat a visor with hot sauce on it. That visor may have to be made out of cake or something. Cause I don't know if I could, I, could, I don't want to choke to death, but now I'll do something crazy, uh, you know, on, on video. If, um, if there are, if all 47 of these guys now barring injury and, and, you know, are getting kicked off. I don't think Nick Barrett's getting kicked off the team. He's a honor student, a great kid by all accounts. But if all 47 of these guys ranked ahead of him, including this kid going to Liberty, um, are better than Nick Barrett long-term. I'll do something funny and crazy for all you guys. But so, so yeah, to your point, Carolina's got to get back into North Carolina. And uh, it, it, it's just one of those things where it, it's, you know, you're in the Carolinas. You're in the SEC. You're the closest SEC school, you know, uh, except for Tennessee is closer to parts of the western part of the state. You know, there are good players up there. You know, I, I think this particular cycle, Carolina just got shut out because North Carolina's, you know, most of the top guys they wanted, you know, it was North Carolina or Clemson. And Clemson's always going to be good up there too. You know, don't get me wrong. You're going to have to battle those guys. So I think the key is, you know, get the right guy. I don't think North Carolina and Georgia are the same. I think Georgia is a gigantic talent producing ocean of players and you got to find the right guys. It's like going fishing. Um, North Carolina is a smaller pond, but Carolina's got the resources to catch the big fish up there. Now you mentioned Virginia. I think Carolina can be very competitive in Virginia. I, I think it may take a little while, but slowly, but surely it seems like every cycle they get at least one guy out of Virginia. Uh, I think the seven five seven is going to come open. That's a place where once you get one or two guys, you can start kind of building a pipeline. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech and Virginia aren't doing as great of a job of keeping their guys in state. 
you're right about the D.C. area and the suburbs. Carolina's got a lot of alumni up there and a lot of students that come from that area. And, you know, Marshawn Lloyd played in D.C. He's from Delaware, but he played in D.C. So I think that whole, you know, especially on the Virginia end of the DMV, because Maryland, when, when you get into Maryland, you're competing against Maryland that does a pretty good job of keeping guys home with as long as Loxley's there. Um, you're competing with Penn State, which is right up the road. Um, you know, you just kind of go north from that area and you, you get to Penn State pretty quick. Uh, you're competing with Ohio State, which comes in there and tries to get guys. Um, and then you're competing with the teams from the south, like Alabama that goes up there and gets players, Georgia. So, but I do think that D.C. and and, and Virginia are a place that, you know, Carolina can do better working north and south. Alabama is always good. I I think Alabama is a little even more different than, uh, you know, I think Alabama is even more different than than Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, whatever, because I I think that's a state where you, you, it's more of a realistic deal where you got to go in there and be like, okay, Alabama and Auburn have an offer this guy, but he's good. There's enough players to go around in Alabama. Alabama's only a little bit bigger population-wise than South Carolina, but they have better football, like more – they have more more players uh, for whatever reason. Um, of course, I think they have spring practices and put money into it in certain pockets of the state more than South Carolina. I, I don't know. South Carolina has great high school football, but um, Alabama's just better, and uh, you can find guys. It's, and South Carolina's done well getting getting guys out of the state of Alabama from Mobile on up north to Huntsville to Birmingham, wherever. So I think that's a great place to go spot recruit. I think it really is. And, and I think you can find guys that end up being really, really good from that state that Bama and Auburn maybe pass along. I think Florida, too, is wide open right now. I, I think that you know, the the days of autumn, Florida kids automatically staying in state are over. Um, thanks to Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State, uh, I think kids are more open to going elsewhere. And there's still a ton of players in Florida. I, I think in particular, South Florida can be really good to South Carolina. Uh, it has been over the years. I think uh, – yeah, Miami, Dade, Broward, Palm Beach area. I think the west coast of Florida, Tampa, and that area. Uh, the Brown kid, Carolina got from Georgia Tech, a Marion Brown. He's from Tampa. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, South Carolina, that's a place to go get three or four guys. You mentioned junior colleges. I, I think that's good. And then the portal and, and all that. So, um, oh, and one, one more thing about the portal. I don't know if you guys paid attention to the – the Clemson um, news, they moved Danny Pierman off the field. Apparently, Tony Elliott's going to coach tight ends and call the plays, and C.J. Spiller is going to be the running backs coach. Well, part of Danny Pierman's new job is to recruit the portal. And so it looks like Clemson is getting into that game, um, which is a little problematic because I think you want to be – it's nice when you can be the only Power 5 in-state option for a player that maybe wants to come home. But um, so it looks like they're getting into that game too. So it'll be interesting to to see there. I don't know if they're going to get into the JUCO game um, because Carolina, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's been for a while that Clemson doesn't want to 
mess with JUCOs. So you still got that option if you're the Gamecocks in that advantage, but it doesn't like Clemson's getting to the portal. All right. So Wep, I guess we'll call you Wep. He emails in, JC, I heard you talking about how Gamecock football is family on the last episode. Couldn't agree more. Growing up, Carolina games were what we did as a family. The money we spent going to games is the money I'm sure many spent going on family vacations. My father haven't uh, hasn't missed a home game in 45 years. It's important to us. Moving to Chicago in my mid-20s a decade ago, it became even more important to me personally. It's my connection to home. And I agree that seeing a coach who gets that and gets South Carolina is a breath of fresh air. Do you still live in Chicago? Um, if so, shoot me an email. I'm, I'm in Chicago a lot. <laughs> Sorry for the long-winded diatribe, but it really hit close to home when you said that, so I wanted to comment. Yeah, that was a, that's important, and I think we lose sight of that sometimes. With all you know, the losing and stuff that happens, people get down. And people get down and emotional about it because they care so much. You know, that, that's why people get real negative because they, they just care. My question is this. I'm personally excited about the new era. Obviously, opinions vary on TBS and Gamecock Twitter. But what do you think the general feeling is around the non-internet Gamecock fandom regarding the direction of the program under Beamer? And do you think that it will be a renewed excitement heading into the 2021 season? I think as far as excitement heading into 2021, a lot depends on COVID, Okay. Uh, I think in general, whenever you have a new coach, there's a lot of interest and there is excitement. I think some people were just ready for the last era to be over so much that no matter who they got, they were going to be excited. I think some people obviously are more skeptical. Uh, I think getting the vaccine out and, and distributed and everybody or, you know, the people that want it, take it so we can open everything back up. Um. I think that's important because I, I think that just for me personally, I was I was so excited that the season was going to happen, you know, regardless that I didn't care at the start about the fans being in the stands, but it really wore on me as the season went on. Even yesterday watching the Chiefs, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs have some of the best fans in NFL football. They pack out Arrowhead and just seeing like the – you know, the 5,000 or so that were there, you know, huddled in little pockets around the stadium, you know, watching the basketball game the other night, unless you'd go on a run, you notice there was no crowd. That's an interesting dynamic in basketball, I think. Um, I, I miss that, you know, at all, you know, just watching it on TV at all stadiums and it, by the time the year ended, you know, watching the bowl games and watching the national, the socially distanced national championship game, I really wanted to throw up <laughs> watching the socially distanced thing, you know, and it's not that I'm against social distancing or anything. Um, I know it's necessary and you have to do it and it's the right thing to do. I'm just sick of it. I mean, it's been almost going to be a year here in a couple of months. And so I think that there's going to be people that are naturally fired up about football again when we can get 82,000 in the stands, you know, because it's been a while, you, you know. I mean, it, you know, I think people miss the traffic jams and the packed tailgate parties and all that good stuff. That's part of what made it fun. That's part of why we all love this team and this this sport and, you know, why I do what I do. 
So I, I think that's that's probably it. You know, as far as the – there's very few Gamecock fans these days that I would consider non-internet because most people consume their information, Facebook or one way or the other. The Facebook crowd, let's just say they're coming around. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, I have a bu- couple buddies that that are like lifelong friends that don't necessarily – they don't get on the site or anything. But, uh, you know, and then they're, they're kind of – looking forward to seeing what happens, but to them, it's sort of a mystery because they don't, you know, there's not, like I said, there's not a lot of names on the coaching staff and, you know, things like that, 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 you know, just your normal fans that that don't dig into it like we do here can latch on to, but, but I, but at the same time, those fans aren't going to sit there and riot because they don't like to hire at uh, D line coach, like like the hardcore folks will, you know, they'll go pull out a resume and be like, no, you know, let's riot. Yeah, I'm going to boycott. And uh, so there's two sides to that coin. But uh, anyway, if you're still in Chicago, shoot me a shoot me a uh, shoot me an email here. Don't don't uh, or or a PM on Bigsburg. All right, so I answered this on this board because McLean Macklin had it and said, what's your favorite recruiting story from over the years? One more things are just so odd and crazy. No one would believe it. I remember Arden Key having some crazy things. Arden Key had a little bit of craziness, but it was basically – the bottom line with Arden Key was Ed Orgeron, you know, basically flipped him. Uh, I do remember Arden Key eliminating Georgia in an interview with Brandy Mills at the Under Armour game. And it just it caused everybody to go crazy. The the craziest thing I remember is Latik Townsend, who played for Clemson for a short time. Um, and by the way, you know, credit to Clemson for this. They took BJ Goodson and Latik Townsend. Uh BJ Goodson had no offers. I think he's from Lamar. I think he's in the NFL now. Uh, Latik never really panned out. Latik was the four-star guy, so Credit them for taking Goodson too and finding that guy. Brent Venables did did that. But uh, so it's halftime, and Latique goes up in the stands and starts signing autographs. <laughs> and, and so that was crazy. Um, there was a player one time that, not in the state of South Carolina, deciding between some in-state schools that, uh, and I'm not going to say the state. But he was driving back and forth, and he's in the NFL now too. In fact, uh, you know, he's a pretty good player. But when it came down to his recruitment, he kept driving back and forth to the two in-state schools. And, um, you know, from what I was told, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going any further. This not naming the player, not naming the state, but uh, from what I was told, was collected some pocket change at <laughs> both places. Ended up signing with one. Um, so that was crazy. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think that there are things that I've heard that I can't verify, you know, from over the years, like players getting their power cut off because they wouldn't sign with certain schools and things like that. Um, I can't verify it though, but that Latique Townsend was just, it was a really good kid. I mean, he was really fun to deal with, but man, oh man, you talk about a guy that let recruiting go to his head. I mean, he's up there signing autographs at halftime. Coach is down there having a meeting. <laughs> yeah, signing autographs, coach. So that was that. Most Hall of Fame-worthy post on TBS has to be Choaching 
just because it was just so bizarre and out of left field. Uh, I'm going to say this Tanya thing. I have to read up on it. But uh, (laughs) I did read the original post. So, um, you know, the Tanya thing is intriguing to me and could end up taking the greatest one. Favorite board topic that took a life of its own. Um, I'm going to say the, uh, you know, go back in time before I I worked for Rivals or 24-7 or ESPN. I was just a, I was a mere, um, I guess, uh, newspaper guy, college student newspaper guy back then. Mike Singletary. (laughs) Everybody was talking about Mike Singletary coming to South Carolina and coaching under Lou Holtz. And uh, I remember somebody had a had a had a, a picture in their profile, and it was back. Well, it was it wasn't as neat and clean as maybe it is now with your profile pictures and all that. It was just this big old picture that took forever to load, and it's a picture of, of Mike Singletary, and it goes, "It's time." <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Uh, and then Macklin says one time he had a beer with Ray Richleski, as a former special teams coach. It's kind of an odd dude. Ray Richleski was legendary. Uh, I remember he lived uh, – when I was in Carolina, I lived at Place on the Green, which is right across from Andy's Deli, by the way, RIP Andy. It was really sad to see him go. Um, I worked at Sammy's Deli when I was in college down at Carolina, but uh, Andy was always, you know, my friend and all that. He was a really good person and great sandwiches, so that was – Tough loss for the Carolina community. But I remember Ray Richleski, and this was years later. I, I didn't obviously didn't live down there at this point. Ray Richleski moved into one of the condos right across the street. And for those that don't know, this is in five points. You know, you're right across from Pavlov's and the Salty Nut. And uh, there used to be a place called Tavern on Green right there. But uh, man, oh man, it's uh. <laughs> so so Rysleski was a guy that uh he, he he enjoyed the the life i guess so thanks macklin for that tim says i'm watching the 2013 carolina clemson game i believe that team had the highest ranking for spurrier i'm looking at the players this was not the most talented team he had a ton of three-star recruits with really talented players at certain positions that were difference makers am i dreaming or could we not be far off as far off from success as people think, or was it that that team was used to success and knew how to win? I think it's somewhere in the middle of your thoughts. I I thought that that was not the most talented team they had, but that was, that was a team that kind of knew how to win. I mean, you, you think about some of the games they played that year. I mean, and they were scheduled pretty tough that season. If I remember correctly, they, the non-conferences were like North Carolina and Central Florida. And then I I don't know, maybe they played Coastal at the end or or something. They played one team that wasn't all that good, but North Carolina, Clemson, and UCF on the road. And UCF was a uh, won every game except Carolina that year. They beat Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, and, you know, Carolina went down there and got behind Blake Bortles and those guys and then came back and won. They got behind at Missouri and came back and won. Um, Dylan Thompson actually led them back against UCF. Uh, and then that team really got rolling at Arkansas, you know, beat the 
doo-doo out of Arkansas in Fayetteville, 52-7. to And in that game at Tennessee, man, it was just one of those, you know, those games. Spurrier had some of those games sometimes. He had about one or two every year. Um, you win that one, man. Mm. <laughs> that was their best shot because it ended up, a lot of things kind of fell Carolina's way uh, had they beaten Tennessee because Auburn upsets Alabama with the kick six. That was a good Auburn team, uh, not as good as the 2010 team, and it was a team that 2013 Carolina team could have really matched up with. Believe me, I was at that game. They ended up playing Missouri, and I was at that one. So, you know, Carolina goes and, and, and happens to beat Auburn, you know, that's a big if, but happens to get revenge in Atlanta and win that game. Um, you know, that night, Michigan State upsets Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. And the SEC champion goes and plays Florida State in the Rose Bowl in the final BCS championship game. You know, as it stood, Carolina beats a pretty good Wisconsin team in the Citrus Bowl. And because of all their top ten wins – because they ended up beating the Fiesta Bowl champion, uh, the SEC East champion, uh, the Orange Bowl champion in Clemson. Um, ended up with a pretty good run, you know, as far as, you know, teams they beat that year, according to the schedule. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think 2012 and 2011 were probably overall more talented than 2013, but 2013 was their best shot. Uh, I'll also say this, Tim. Don't 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 worry about star ratings when you're talking about, you know, three star recruits because some of those three star recruits on that team they were really talented players, you know, that were difference makers. I mean, you know, uh, I think Ace Sanders. I mean, Ace wasn't on that team. Ace wasn't in 2013, but you know, you had Bruce Ellington. Um, you know, Connor Shaw was a three star player. Uh, you know, you kind of look around and, you know, see some of those guys that, that, that uh, you know, Brandon Wilds was a two, three-star player, uh, certainly an important part. So, you know, I, I, I do I think Carolina is not as far off as people think? Absolutely. From a roster standpoint, yeah. Um, people are just uh, – and I see all kinds of crazy stuff out there. Muschamp couldn't develop players. Muschamp could develop players. Go look at the NFL. He was really good at developing individual players. Those were team issues. You have to have a team, you know, you have to develop a team sometimes, you know, uh, when you're talking about winning, playing winning football. But uh, I don't think Carolina's too far off. There are some obvious holes that they need to address. Um, I don't think expectations are going to be huge this year. Uh, I kind of expect them to be picked 13th out of 14 in the all those cool power ratings that everybody does. But I'll say this. You're starting off with, you know, a, an 1,100, 1,200-yard rusher in Kevin Harris, who did it against 10 games in the SEC. Uh, you're a you know, five-star running back that was injured last year, Marshawn Lloyd, who's talent-wise just as good or better than Harris. Rashad Amos is in that mix somewhere. Um, and then you throw Caleb McDowell in. Uh, you know, you have a quarterback that obviously Luke Doty wasn't quite ready, but he can get ready. And he's a guy that, uh, 
was ranked as one of the best quarterbacks in the country for a reason. You know, people that want to crap all over him are the same people that when Connor Shaw got in the game for Steven Garcia against Auburn in 2010 and led the team down the field and almost tied it up, uh, said he'd never play at Carolina. You know, the, those are the same people that that, that are criticizing Luke Doty <laughs> right now. Um, you know, you've, you've got four out of five offensive linemen returning. You got uh, two guys that are promising at the tight end H back position in, in Mullins and Bell, plus Nick Muse is coming back as that attached tight end. So you've got a starting point on offense. Uh, defensively, I think at least you got a starting point on the D line. If you can go in Igbare, Pickens, Birch on the end, and then that D tackle spot, will it be Sandage? Will it be Ellis? Could Jakeem Green do it? MJ Webb? You know, you at least got to start there. Uh, they need Muhammad Kaba to get a lot better. Uh, Sherrod Green coming back is big. You don't know what's going to happen with Rosendo Lewis. Um, you know, the linebacker coming in from Delaware is good. Uh, you know, Kobe Fields is good from Louisiana, the freshman. You know, the four-two-five. who's going to be the Spurs. I mean, you know, I, I think defensively you kind of – and you look at the secondary and all the guys that have left, um, there's still some parts, but it's, you know, again, we're, we're for, it seems like for the seventh straight year we're talking about numbers back there. But there's some starting points, okay? You know, they got to be coached up. Good news, the schedule in – we don't know what's going to – again, COVID, you don't know what's going to happen. But the schedule, if it stays as it is, it, it's first two games are manageable. I don't know who they're going to throw in for the third game. <laughs> the SEC opener, I would assume it would be. But, you know, the first two games, uh, you got Eastern Illinois, uh, Tony Romo's uh, alma mater. Dino Babers used to coach there. Uh, and then you got uh, a, a road game. And it's good that this game's on the road because it's going to be an early challenge. And it's good that it's game two in Greenville, North Carolina, against the East Carolina Pirates. So that's a that's a good good start, you know, because you got a game that you should go win against an FCS team, and then you got a game that can kind of get your, you know, your blood boiling a little bit because it's a road game. And there, if again, if COVID is over and and they're letting big crowds places and stuff uh they're gonna be hanging from the rafters up at uh what is it Ficklin Stadium in Greenville North Carolina first time Carolina's played up there since 1997 uh up in Greenville against the East Carolina Pirates so big one you know so you have a chance for a 2-0 start and I think that could be just what the doctor ordered for this team you know other than that you got Kentucky and Vandy at home you should win those, You're, you know, and I know Kentucky lit Carolina up this past year, but they're not that much ahead of the Gamecocks, I don't think, you know, to where Carolina can't beat them at home, beat them at home two years ago. Um, you know, then you got to find two more wins. Well, you know, can you win at Missouri? Missouri had a better than expected first year under Eli Drinkwitz. Um, you know, can, can you beat A&M on the road? I don't know. You know, you know, can you win in Knoxville? You know, that's a question. Can, can you beat the Gators who have lost a lot of personnel when they come to Columbia? You know, that's the, that's a question there. You got to go to Athens. 
you know, it's always a little tougher when it, the the road games are Knoxville, Athens, College Station, and Columbia, Missouri. That that always makes it a little tougher. Um, obviously, I, I think uh, the third the third game uh, from the non conference is Troy. Troy is tricky at times, but it's in Columbia, and you should win it. So that's you know East Carolina, Eastern Illinois, Troy. That's three. Kentucky Vandy at home, that gets you to five. So you find one more win. And uh, you know, shoot, you're uh you're blowing bowling in the first year. So hopefully, uh hopefully that happens. I think that could definitely happen. Kyle says, JC, I really enjoy your show. Yours is truly the best game podcast on the internet, if you know what I mean. Thank you, my friend. Anyway, have you heard any movement on offensive line coaching search? Just wondering, since this is the last on-field assistant spot to be filled as of now. As of now. Yeah, that's a good point. Best, Kyle. I have not heard anything outside of Brent Key. This was last week. Brent Key and uh, Travell Warden. And then I've heard the talk about Hudson, uh, who uh, I think he's at LSU, was in Oklahoma, uh, and um, Greg Adkins. You know, to me, I, Greg Atkins would be a guy I'd strongly consider. He's, you know, uh, now he's a veteran SEC guy. You know, he's been at Tennessee and all that, but he's a heck of a line coach. Um, so I, I think that that's, uh, that's kind of something that we can, uh, we can look at uh, as a positive if they end up with him. Uh, but I, I would love to see it be Travell Wharton, to be honest. I, I think he's ready um, as long as he wants to recruit, you know, because that's kind of the question, because um, he's been more in the NFL and on that side of things. Uh, I think he's ready to come be the guy. Re- remember, Travell wasn't even a highly rated recruit, and he gets there, and he starts every game <laughs> from the moment he stepped on campus. Uh, he's kind of like Dennis Daly and – Another Hillcrest Simpsonville guy, uh, Jamon Meredith, in that regard. Guys that, you know, nobody had a whole lot of, you know, what a lot of people were not high on Wharton or Jamon Meredith or Dennis Daly coming out. And they all three, you know, st- you know, gained the starting left tackle job and, you know, never gave it up. So I thought that was kind of, it's kind of an interesting thing. But, uh, you know, th- that's who I would hope it would be. But, no, nah, I have not actually heard anything on that. Uh, it could also be somebody out of left field that Marcus Satterfield knows. I think, you know, just like with a D-line hire, Clayton White was going to be big on it. Uh, Marcus Satterfield's going to be big on on this one. So, uh, and I think they'll get a good one. I mean, look, they're going to get a good one, but I'll be honest, there's going to be days where that group's going to struggle because you're in the SEC. And you're playing the best defensive lines in the country week in and week out. I continue to use the example of the 2019 Carolina Georgia game where a, a defensive line that did have NFL players on it and Javon Kinlaw and, and DJ Wanham once again, Muschamp could develop players. The team results just weren't there. Um, you know, a, a defense that had those guys on it, uh, you know, they did have that, but Georgia's offensive line was considered the best in the country. Carolina beat them up like a drum. Um, that's just going to happen in this league. So, you know, 
regardless of who they hire as the offensive line coach, I prime, and regardless of how many starters Carolina has coming back, and regardless of how, of how good those players are, I promise you Carolina's going to struggle on the offensive line at times next year, as will everybody else in the SEC outside of Bama. And even Bama, to be honest, if they didn't run the RPO game like they do and, and all they run the style of offense, if they ran their old style of offense, there would be days they struggle as well. And there there were when it was the the old uh, Nussmeyer and McElwain offense. So anyway. Folks, thank you for tuning in to the Inside the Gamecast podcast. Uh, again, inside the Gamecast at gmail.com if you would like uh, to get in on the mailbag and um, all that and go rate it five stars and all that good stuff. Good to get another episode out. We'll be back several more times this week. Thank you for listening, and uh, everyone have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.